0: When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. It came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. How is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue? Alpha's a great thing. And um, we've got three alphas running at the moment. And the people that, that are on them are, are all enjoying discovering about Jesus. A few years ago now, I was, uh, I was on an alpha course. I was leading an alpha course. And there was a guy called Tony. Not mention his uh, his surname because he might be watching. Actually, <laughs> a guy called Tony. Tony had been a terrible man. In his own confession, a real rotten person. He had done all kinds of awful stuff, and uh, really, really nasty, really nasty. Week three is um, why did Jesus die on Alpha, and. Before we even started, Tony said to me in front of the whole group, Andy, can I just say something before we start today? And he got up and he told the group, this is two weeks into doing Alpha, this is the beginning of the third week, he told the group that he had been a dirty, rotten sinner and he'd realised that he needed Jesus in his life. But because of the weight of the things that he'd done was so weighing heavy, he wanted to commit his life to Jesus there and then in front of everybody. i what do you say to that when a person says, says they want to do that? I said, well, Tony, go ahead. And he knelt down in front of everybody and he prayed. I didn't even lead him through the prayer of confession or anything like that, the sinner's prayer. He prayed the best sinner's prayer that anybody could pray, to be honest. I couldn't have said it better And he didn't come from a church background or anything like that. He came from a terrible, terrible, right-wing, racist, awful, EDL, National Front-type background. And he prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I've committed such terrible sin. I want you to forgive me. I want you to come into my life. And while he was knelt in front of everybody, he started to speak in tongues. I've never experienced that before. And he had no idea what was happening. And he looked up at me and he said, what's this? (laughs) And I said, that's week eight. We haven't even got there yet, mate. We're only on week three. It was absolutely amazing. And Tony went on to be baptised in water. His background was such a terrible... um, racist background it was really interesting that he put on facebook uh in the tank when he was getting baptized in water uh he was baptized by i don't know whether it was me and one of our nigerian elders back in leeds and uh well when that went on facebook half of his old cronies wanted to kill him half of his old cronies were going what's happened to you tell tell us what's happened to you And it really sort of like was an absolutely remarkable, remarkable change. And um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is given for the enabling of the church. And when I say the church, I mean every individual follower of Jesus. In whatever church you gathered in, given for every single person. To do the ministry of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is given for. Please don't be mistaken that um, the Holy Spirit is only to give us an experience in our times of gathered worship. Because that's a good thing, don't get me wrong. And I'm not knocking it. I've been a Pentecostal all my life. And I've been very sort of like used to the gifts of the Spirit being used in worship services and hearing from God and responding to God. And all that is good. But we've got to to realize God wants to give us much, much more than that. And not just for in here. Mostly for out there, to be quite honest. That's how Scripture tells it. Anyway, that's how Scripture unfolds. Uh, I've grown up like many of you, and I've experienced meetings where the gifts of the Spirit have been used, and, you know, you can walk away saying, that wasn't just a good meeting, that was a God meeting. And those are great meetings, absolutely great meetings. In a few weeks' time, we're going to be introducing and and teaching a sort of like a new way of facilitating the gifts in our worship here, in our, in our gatherings. And hopefully that will enable uh, more of us to be receptive to the Holy Spirit, hearing from the Holy Spirit and uh, moving with whatever he wants to do, responding to him. More of that will, will, will come. But I truly believe that God is always wanting us to realise that he's got much more for us. Much more than we've experienced so far. What does he say to to the Ephesians? Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says, immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at, at work within us. And if there's one thing that strikes us surrounding this whole Pentecost passage that we just read from there, it's that God gave the Holy Spirit to the believers gathered to go out. To go out. And that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing. There's one or two people in this congregation who regularly go out as a little team. And just, uh, they don't go shouting at people on the streets or anything like that. They go approaching people and just, just asking them if they know God. And that's a great thing. But there's probably more people in this church that are scared of doing that. And a little bit reserved. And a little bit like, oh, that's not really my bag. I don't want to do that. And maybe somebody at your work or a place or your neighborhood or maybe even your family Sort of like, knows you're a Christian, but whenever they ask about Jesus, you're a little bit like, oh dear, I don't really know the answer to that. I wish I had the pastor here or somebody, somebody who's a bit more confident than me. When you read the Bible, when you read Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit coming, John 14, John 16, passages like that, some translations uh, translate the Holy Spirit as, or they describe him as, the comforter. So, Jesus says in, in John 14, the, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit will come. I will, I will send him. Uh, the Greek translation of those words is the Parakletos. The English word is Comforter, or actually was a few years ago. It's sort of like crept into the more modern translations as Advocate. But let's stick with Comforter at the moment. And then it says the Spirit, or the Greek word is Pneuma. Wind, you get pneumatic tires with wind in them. You know, the wind, that's the Holy Spirit. In our day and age, this has lost a little bit of its uh, intended meaning because when, when I comfort you, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm soothing you. I'm putting my arm around you. I'm drying your tears or, or, or something like that. That's not exactly what Jesus was thinking of as the job of the Holy Spirit. Of course, he comforts us. Of course he does. Of course he's there all the time. But the old English interpreters were very much informed by Latin at the time. Uh, That was the major influence on the English language. And so when they translated paracletos, they used the words comforte. 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 And forte has a different meaning. Forte means strength. If I said to you, what's your forte? What's your forte? Well, you would know instantly what that means. What what am I good at? What's my strength? What is my strength? That's what what the, 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 the original Greek was trying to get across. Forte means strength. Therefore, Jesus in preparing the believers for the coming of the Holy Spirit is encouraging them. He's not leaving them alone to be put upon by the Romans or the the, the uh, uh, Judaistic believers. He's going to send them someone who will give them all the strength that they need, that they require not just to live this life, but to go out and spread this message. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you strengthless. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and This message of good news is for everyone and this message of the Holy Spirit is for you who believe. You need it. When they're gathered in that upper room, what happens? There's the sound of a gentle breeze. Strong, mighty, violent wind. There's strength there. So you can see where we've perhaps sort of like in in interpreting the Holy Spirit as a comforter, we've probably lost a little bit of what it means. The Holy Spirit is strong. The Holy Spirit gives you strength. This mighty rushing wind can come into your life and strengthen you where you feel weak. Remember also that the followers of Jesus had rallied behind him. They'd grown in numbers. They'd gained confidence, even in the midst of tremendous opposition. But because he was doing the mighty works, and all the authorities, even though they tried to stop him, couldn't stop him, but all the believers were rallying behind Jesus, and then suddenly, he was arrested and crucified. And they were devastated. What do we do with that? Goodness, is the same going to happen to us? They're... Shock lasted three days and it turned into a different kind of shock because Jesus was then resurrected. And suddenly their confidence, even though they were a little bit sort of like, goodness, what does this mean? Their confidence returned. Jesus was resurrected. He's alive. Fantastic. We're back on again. And then Jesus said, I'm going. I'm going. But don't worry because I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And they didn't really know what that meant. But he ascended into heaven. They saw him go. And all of a sudden, uh uh-oh, we're on our own again. What did Jesus tell us to do? Well, he told us to go and gather in an upper room. We better do that. And they went and did that. So there was all this grieving, confusion, fright happening in their lives all at the same time. So... Yes, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. Yes, the Holy Spirit is an advocate. When you're alone, when you're frightened, when you're confused, having an advocate gives you confidence. Somebody who stands beside you, somebody who never leaves you, gives you strength to face whatever is coming. You know, I once went to the... Some of you know John Hutchinson, big lad. Supports Chelsea, but we'll forgive him that. One or two other people. But... um, I once took him to see Sheffield United, and um, we got there a little bit late, and when we got there, there were some guys sat in our seats. So that was a bit odd, because on my ticket it said seat number 37, and there's this big ugly guy sat in my seat, and I said, excuse me mate, you, you, you sat in our seats. So this guy went, so... Well, I'm five foot five. <laughs> but John's a big lad. So I just said, John, these lads are sat in our seats, and these lads went, we'll move, we'll move. <laughs> it's good to have an advocate. It's good to have an advocate. So the Holy Spirit, yes, he's your comforter. Of course he is. The Holy Spirit is your advocate, stands beside, but the Holy Spirit is your strength. Because it's a frightening world out there. It's scary. There's all kinds of people who you're going to meet that when you talk about Jesus, they're going to go, So? But actually, the Holy Spirit gives us much more. So it's not just about words, it's about works, it's about things that they have no explanation of whatsoever, things that they can't explain, stuff happens. You get probably a little bit fed up of being the apologist all the time, coming out with, like, what about evolution? What about this? What about dinosaurs? What about this? What about that? You know, is there a God? Don't believe in God? That sort of stuff. But, you know, every so often, I'd, I'd encourage you to pray a prayer like, God, I don't just want to answer questions. I want you to show up and do some stuff that only you can do. I could tell you other stories about that, but anyway, I'll tell you in a bit. But... It's always been a tricky question regarding the characters of the Old Testament as to how they are actually saved before Jesus dying on the cross actually happened. We, we know, because theologians tell us, that the cross is eternal. It goes both ways, um, beyond the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. But the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus is the key to salvation. We know that. We have to believe that Jesus died for our sins. But looking back into the Old Testament, you know, people only got a very glimpse of a dull glimpse of what was coming. But we we know that when a person comes to faith, Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, comes and resides in every single one of us. Every single one of us. Paul tells us in Corinthians, You are. The temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit comes and resides in you. So it's the same Holy Spirit that was in the Old Testament. It's the same Holy Spirit that was there hovering over the waters at creation. Powerful, Holy Spirit strength. So... When the Holy Spirit comes upon people in the Old Testament, this is them coming to a a, a realisation of who God is. But it happens in a, let's say, much more selective, particular way in the Old Testament. Judges, warriors, prophets mostly. People like Moses, Abraham, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, Deborah, David, people like that, Esther. And then... On into the New Testament, we see Mary and Elizabeth. But probably the most charismatically gifted person of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was Moses. I say that because Moses, in and of himself, was quite a weak fella. He was a bit of a, let's say, coward, scaredy cat. His speech was incredibly uh, stilted. He was a stutterer. He was basically someone who, in himself, was so weak. I mean, he couldn't even lift his arms up for very long when, when they were fighting the battle. He had to have Aaron and, and her to hold his, his arms up. So he wasn't really tremendously strong in himself. But Moses was extraordinarily endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit in his leadership, in his miraculous ministry, in his prophetic Teaching the Holy Spirit was with Moses, so we can see that the Holy Spirit provided strength for a weak man there. And if you read the book of Numbers, you get to chapter 11, and it shows you a situation that Moses had arrived at where he was leading Israel, but he was physically and emotionally drained, he was wrecked, he was so tired. And Jethro came. And gave him some spiritual advice. Jethro was probably an elder uh, at that particular time. And he gave Moses this advice saying, what you're doing is not really working all that well. You need to delegate more. You need to appoint more people to help you do the work. Sound good, spiritual, common sense. And Moses listened to Jethro. But he was also exasperated in his Praying after that. How many people get exasperated when you pray? Let's be honest. We do from time to time. So God told him to choose 70 men. If you look at Numbers 11, you don't have to turn to it now. Numbers 11, verse 24. Choose 70 men and God would anoint them with the same spirit that Moses had, the Holy Spirit. So the passage in Numbers goes on to explain that these 70 men were all chosen, 68 of them were gathered in the uh, the tabernacle, ready to be anointed by Moses. For some reason, two of the guys were not in the tabernacle. They were back in the camp, Eldad and Medad. And the Holy Spirit came upon these 68 men. And it says they all prophesied. But what was amazing was, this was in the tabernacle. Back in the camp, the two guys that, I don't know what they were doing, they were probably putting the shoes on and getting ready. They were a bit late. But they were back in the camp and they started to prophesy. So they were in the tabernacle, they were back in the camp, but it was the same Holy Spirit, and they started to, to prophesy. But it caused a little bit of a rumpus because Joshua Joshua heard these guys prophesying, and he interpreted it as an insurrection, a rebellion, a revolution against Moses, the leader. Who are these guys? Who do they think they is? Moses is our prophet. And so he ran to say to Moses, stop these guys. Stop them. And Moses' response was amazing. It was prophetic, a prophetic response, actually. So Numbers 11, verse 28 says this, Joshua, son of Nun, which is interesting, nuns don't have kids, but anyway, son of Nun, who had uh, who had, uh, been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people, all the Lord's prophets, and all the Lord's people would have their... His spirit within them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Moses' longing, his prayer, if you like, his desire, would later become an actual prophecy by the prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in heaven and on earth. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. Strength, in other words. Amazing show of strength. So Moses' prayer became Joel's prophecy became Acts's Acts's, reality. The book of Acts, reality. Notice that the day of Pentecost happened on the occasion of a Jewish feast. They were all getting together for this Jewish feast. The Jewish believers were all gathered for this feast. All received the Holy Spirit. There were no haves and have-nots, all received the Holy Spirit. But I just want to major on this this, uh, this morning. The book of Acts, interestingly, follows along the lines of the Great Commission. Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples, Acts 1 verse 8 recalls it. Dan read from it right at the very beginning. Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in, Jew- in Jerusalem, In all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's very interesting because when you read the rest of Acts, it unfolds that way. And Acts unfolds and we see not just one Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the chapter that we as Pentecostals emphasize the most, but actually you see four Pentecosts according to the lines that Jesus talked about there. So... In Acts 8, verse 12, we read this. But when they believed Philip, remember we talked about Philip being available to God, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both of them. Simon himself, who was his sorcerer, believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So the Samaritans had believed the message of Jesus. They'd been baptised in water. And now Peter, I mean, his head was going ten to the dozen because he, he couldn't understand that Samaritans could even receive Jesus. But he thought, well, they have been baptised in water. they have been baptised into Jesus We'll pray for him to receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter placed his hands upon them and John and they received the Holy Spirit. So at that particular juncture, we'd had the Holy Spirit poured out in Jerusalem amongst the the Jewish Christians. Then they'd heard that this message had gone out to Samaria. They'd accepted it. So they went to Samaria and the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Samaritans They'd been baptized in water and then received the Holy Spirit. Then God did a bit of a number on Peter because Peter was inherently, let's say, racist <laughs> because he was. It was his culture that he brought up in. But God showed him my spirit is for everyone. This salvation is for everyone, it's not just for the Jews. So take this message for everyone. And he gave Peter this vision of the sheet coming down and said, kill and eat even some of the unclean stuff. So Peter did. And then in Acts 10, we see Peter in the house of Cornelius. Cornelius wasn't Jewish, but he was a God-fearer. And there were God-fearing people in that particular time, Gentile believers who had come to to believe in, in this God of the Jews While Peter was still speaking, Acts 10 says, verse 44, still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized in water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then, he asked, then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So you see, in that sense, it was a different order. They got baptized in the Holy Spirit, then they got baptized in water. Let me encourage you today. You may have been baptized in water, but you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can be. God wants you to be. The Holy Spirit is for you. You may have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but never got round round to being baptized in water. Do it. Do it because Jesus commands it. It's part of what is being a Christian. Both of them display God. Both of them are for you. It's amazing. If you've been through the waters of baptism, you' never forget it. It's an amazing experience. You'd recommend it to anyone. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you'd recommend it to anyone. It's an amazing experience, the for you, the for you. So don't be one of these either. or be all in. Be all in. And then in Acts 19, we get to the Ephesians, people who've never heard of Jesus. They'd been brought up with other gods, the Greek gods, Zeus and Apollos and people like that. And Acts 19 says this. While in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? These were people who had just heard about this message of Jesus and they'd come to believe and he's saying, I, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe?" They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul said, then what baptism did you receive? Well, John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, which was good. He told them, the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were baptised in water, and then Paul placed his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. So it's possible to have a, a baptism I'm looking at this because this is where the tank is. Uh, a baptism meeting and come out of the waters of baptism and speak in tongues at the same time. That would be an amazing experience, a, a, a double blessing. So, what I'm trying to say in this whole thing by pointing to these different passages in uh, the book of Acts all Jewish believers gathered, received. All Samaritan believers gathered, received. All Gentile believers who were gathered received. All other Gentiles who'd never heard uh, of Jesus before, but had come to believe, never had a background in in religion or anything, all who heard received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. Everyone. Everyone is commissioned to go. Go. Jesus says to every single one of us, go and tell people the good news. Therefore, the holy we, we can't do it in our own strength. It's quite a frightening experience. But therefore, the Holy Spirit is for you. Not just the extroverts, but the introverts as well. The ones that are shy, the ones that are a little bit timid, the ones that don't feel they've got a theological education or anything like that. The ones that feel that, well, I'm only a week old as a Christian. I can't tell anybody. Of course you can. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. Everyone needs strength to go. The Holy Spirit gives you boldness, gives you strength. I know this. I was probably one of the shyest lads in school. I used to Color up, go red. Whenever the teacher used to uh, shout at us because somebody had done something wrong, I used to be the first to go absolutely blood red. Such an embarrassment. And then obviously, well, it must be you then, mustn't it? And that made me feel even worse. I was such a shy person. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, God was real. I had confidence. I wasn't a maniac for Jesus or anything like that, but I wasn't afraid anymore. I knew God was real. I began to tell my friends uh, about Jesus recently in our series we've been talking about availability here I am Lord, here I am and asking the question are you available? are you available? are you willing? are you willing to step out for God? are you willing to go out taking his kingdom with you are you available to do whatever God wants to, to do in your life? Are you Jewish? Are you Samaritan? Are you Greek? Are you African? The Holy Spirit is for you. Are you English? Are you French? Are you Macedonian? Are you, are you South American, North American, Australian, Asian? Whoever you are... The Holy Spirit is for you. Are you Sinfin? Are you Chatterstone? Are you Micklover, Little Over, Allestry, Alveston, Hilton, Burton even? (laughs) The Holy Spirit is for you. Are you available? Are you available? We're gonna sing. So musicians come up. We're gonna sing. If the Holy Spirit is for everyone, the Holy Spirit is for you.